Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm going to, I have water because it's hot. Have you noticed? <clears throat> it is somewhat warm today. Um, As Dylan said, my name is Sarah, and it is such a pleasure and a privilege to have um, joined you here in Colchester. I'm going to pull this this way. Um, This morning, I'm a massive fan of C3 Colchester. I'm not allowed to say that I have a favorite location because I'm supposed to be, you know, all things. But um, I'm going to talk in a minute about one of the fruits of the Spirit. And when we were worshiping, I just really felt God ask me to talk quickly about what that means, just in case people don't know. Um, And I have a reason for that, which I'll reveal in a second, but the fruits of the Spirit, so that you know, here's your theological tidbit for the day, are the things that we do as human beings that are an outworking of our relationship with God. So if you think about what a fruit is, we have a tree and it grows, and then because it's healthy, it produces fruit, right? And then you're like, mmm, fruit, yum. And that's kind of the goal. And then what comes from fruit is seeds, and then you plant seeds, and then they grow, and you get more, right? So in our relationship with God, when we are engaging with God, when we have have a relationship with Jesus, when we are living our life for Him and with Him, we start to produce the fruit that comes from being connected to Him. Now, if you've spent any time in kids' church, you may have learned some sort of song around these, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nine of them. There's a lot of them. It's a a fruit salad um, of emotions and characteristics, and we exude them at different points in our lives. And from the moment that I walked into C3 Colchester today, I have seen joy. And joy is not happiness. It's not because you've had a good day. It's not because you slept well last night. It's not because the sun is out. Joy is because you have an understanding of who you are in Jesus. And that is a culture that is being set in this location, in this season. And it is palpable. It is tangible when you come here. And I just want to encourage you, if this is what you're like here, the people in the world who don't know Jesus... When you are going about your normal day, they are floored by who you are. So I don't know what your situations are. I don't know how easy or difficult life is at the moment. But regardless, there is something about this space where the Holy Spirit is moving so tangibly. And not just in Nigel and Mandy, not just in the core team or anything like that, but it's present. And I just, I'm so encouraged being here, and so I just wanted to say thank you, and good job, um, and you're the best. Um, but I, oh, we are recording this. I will deny it. <laughs> um, but I don't even. That's not even what I'm talking about today. So sorry, I got a bit distracted. But my name is Sarah. I'm on team here. I have been for a while, as Dylan said. I'm South African, which is why the accent is what it is. Um, my mum is English, so it's not quite South African because she wouldn't let me, um, which is okay. We've worked through that. 
Um, but sometimes the vowels come out differently. And um, when I used to be one of the youth pastors here at C3, the kids would always tell me that they knew I was South African the most when I was irritated, because then I'd yell, and you can't yell not like a South African when you're South African. Um, but I will not be doing that today, <laughs> I hope. Um, what I am doing is continuing this series that Steve started with us last week, which is called RPMs. So what the goal is, is over this month, we're going to develop ourselves to be flourishing people, which obviously is already happening here spiritually in a lot of ways, and that's amazing. But we're gonna look at ourselves holistically. So we are not just our spirits, and we're not just our bodies, and we're not just our minds, and we're not just our relationships. We are all those things together. And these four areas were the things that Jesus prepared himself in, in his growing up years before he entered into his ministry. So in the book of Luke, there's this verse that Steve reminded us of last week, which um, basically says that Jesus increased in wisdom, so mentally, he increased in stature, physically, and in favor with God, spiritually, and with man, relationally. And so what I get to do today is talk about how we flourish relationally. And I know that immediately some of you are like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, because <laughs> people can be really hard and relationships can be complicated and not easy. But when we flourish in a relationship, when we are relationally healthy, we affect the culture of the people around us and we set a tone and we bring change. And so when we say we're gonna flourish relationally, it's not even about the specific relationships, it's about who you are and how you can participate in that relationship. And so these principles that we're gonna talk about, they're not specific to romantic relationships or friendships or, or work relationships, they're, they, they permeate everything. So if you can do these things in any kind of relationship that you're in, you will bless that relationship and you will be blessed. And that's the goal. And we don't only wanna be these things, we wanna look for these things. Because sometimes we can be so focused on are we good enough, are we doing the right things, that we're not paying attention to is this a good relationship for us? And it's a very important question to be asking. So, so that you've got some context for me, um, I am a single woman and I don't have children, so my primary relationships that I wanna be healthy in are my friendships, um, my family relationships, what I call my chosen family. I have lots of godchildren, there's five of them, they're wonderful, they're, it's chaos, they're all cousins. It's just, it's a lot, but I get to hand them back, so I'm all good. <laughs> um, but these are the people who I'm investing my time in in this season. And so when I'm thinking about this, that's the lens that I'm looking through. And I wanna encourage you to take what we're gonna talk about and look through your lens. Maybe you are married, but you don't have children. Maybe you aren't married. Maybe you're young and you are pursuing friendships and figuring uni out or whatever. But this kind of thing is gonna to apply to us across the board. Can I pray? Is that okay? Then we'll get into it. Father God, what a great day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing each and every one of us here. Thank you for the message that you have inspired, not just through me, but through Becky and Katie as they are preaching in the other locations, Lord. Thank you that you have something to say through us and that our hearts are open to hearing from you today. We do this all for your glory. In your name, amen. 
Okay, so, child Sarah, me, little, decidedly not great with relationships, not flourishing relationally. Before you do that thing where you're like, don't judge little you, it was fine. I know, it wasn't my fault, I was a kid. But unfortunately, I was bullied quite severely through my childhood, early teen years. So I had a loving family. I had a relationship with Jesus very clearly from when I was seven. But as you do with kids, where do you spend most of your time? School, right? So the people that were day in and day out teaching me, intentionally or otherwise, about what it meant to be in relationships were teaching me through their rejection where my place was. And so I developed the wrong idea of how to do relationships. Because what I learned as a child was that if I could find a way to make the people around me happy, then I was good. Then I had friends, I had a place to belong, I was safe in relationships. And that was ingrained in me when I was young by children who were also young. So that isn't, an, you know, they weren't like, do you know what I wanna do today? I wanna convince Sarah of her value. They're just kids. But everybody is being taught something by someone from somewhere. And so I was heavily influenced by this continuous sense of rejection that I was experiencing at school. And what it led to was a teenager with a very strong but very wrong understanding of my place in social order. And I never expressly said it to my parents. And so as a result of me not really talking to them about that, they couldn't challenge what they didn't know. So I had a very healthy, lovely, wonderful family upbringing. And I was very certain that Jesus loved me. But I genuinely believed that my place in society, in my world, was to serve others and to serve others only. And if I couldn't, then I didn't have a place to belong. And I allowed the value that I put on myself to be determined by what other mostly adolescent people who were also emotionally immature, what they felt about me became what I felt about me. And so it actually led to me being a pretty vulnerable person like I was really competent, I appeared very confident, I loved being around people, but the entire time I was always thinking, should I be here? What, what should I be doing to make sure it's okay that I'm here? And my actions were very admirable and was kind, I had patience. I used to adopt friends who were tricky and my mum would always say, my mum with her discerning spirit, is that a good idea? Do you think you should be investing that much time in that person? Are they a good person for you to be friends with? And I'd be like, mom, I have got this. They need me. It's all good. And then like a year later, when they'd move on from me, which is the inevitable nature of people who are also not relationally healthy, I'd be like, I don't know what happened. And my mom would be like, yeah, it's so surprising. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but I'm a teenager, so I'm not listening to my mom. Um, you know, anybody relate to that on any level? I listen to her now, a lot. Um, and she's very, very gracious. She has not said I told you so much. Um, but when my mom says, I don't know about that person, I pay a lot of attention nowadays. So yeah, so teenage Sarah, bit vulnerable, not making the greatest choices in terms of friends, and setting myself up potentially for a future 
where I, in spite of knowing who I was in Jesus, didn't actually understand how that should have been what my identity was built in. Instead, I was building it in this unhealthy relational space. So when we become good at relationships, as I said earlier, we impact the people and the culture around us because we're not defining ourselves by the moment we're in, we're defining ourselves by the God who's created us. And so our circumstances don't have the same kind of impact on us that they would if, if we were set in, am I okay right now? And so when we look at what friendship and what relationship means biblically, we see in Proverbs 27 verse nine, it says, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Friendship and relationship can build us up so incredibly and if we know how to do it well, we can both be and receive that. And then our lives are filled with color and vibrancy and flavor because of the people that we're engaging with. Today, my goal is to give you three vital characteristics for relational health. And as I've said, there are things that can be applied to any kind of relationship. I would love, if you are in a relationship, I'd love you this week to speak to your partner about these things. Do you prioritize and value the things that we're gonna talk about today? Can you see these things in the people that are your friends, the people that you work with, the people that you invest your time in, the people that you mentor, the people that mentor you? I lean here because I mentor Kanara and she came with me and that's really nice. And I've embarrassed her now, but I sort of told her I was gonna do that, so there we go. <laughs> Hi. Um, <clears throat> And so I wanted to go into scripture and I wanted to make sure that what we were learning about today comes from the Bible, because that's important. And uh, so Becky and Katie and I were chatting because they're doing this message in other locations. We're like, what are we gonna talk about? And Becky was like, oh, I really wanna talk about how Ruth does relationship well. And if you've been part of C3 for about a year or longer, you may remember, and I will not be offended if you don't, because there's a lot of Sundays in the year, but last year, I preached about Ruth, because she's my favorite. And um, so when Becky was like, Ruth, I was like, yes, okay, cool, we're back, this is it. Because she is genuinely my favorite character in the Bible. I, she is like, she girl bosses on like a thousand different levels. But what I like about her story in particular is that you can go back to it and search for pretty much anything that you're looking for in it. And that is what is so amazing about Scripture. It's why Scripture is the living, breathing Word of God, because you don't go to it and return void. Like, there's always something that you can glean from it. And so last year, we talked about, uh, I feel like she was, how has she set herself up spiritually to develop or something like that. And, and today, we're gonna look at how she does relationships well. But maybe you don't know the Book of Ruth, which sucks, you should do something about that, um, genuinely. It's four chapters, it'll take you 45 minutes to read at most, and I really recommend that you do it. But I'm gonna give you like the briefest overview of the story so that you know who I'm talking about when I talk about these people. So, Ruth is a character in the Old Testament before Jesus. And um, what she does is she's a Moabite, okay? She's from the land of Moab. They're enemies of the Israelites who are the main characters generally through the Bible. And so she ends up marrying an Israelite who dies, which is unfortunate. And so she decides to go back to Israel from Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and provide for her and live her life with her. And that's a really 
wonderful thing to do. But because she's a Moabite, the community borderline rejects her like instantly. Very suspicious of why she's there, don't really understand what she's about. And, but through her behavior and her commitment to Naomi, she starts to develop this reputation of being a really honorable person and somebody who's very loving and kind and compassionate. And so she attracts the attention of this wealthy landowner called Boaz, who happens to be a distant cousin of her deceased husband, which is a good thing culturally back then. Um, maybe a bit weird now, but then very good, very positive. And through a really quite adorable set of circumstances, they end up getting married and basically living happily ever after. And then they have this son who becomes the grandfather of the, grandfather? Yeah, grandfather of this guy called David. And David ends up being like the king of Israel. And when we talk about Jesus's descendants, he comes from David which is Ruth's biggest flex. She's like the great-great-grandmother of like David, who's the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. Um, but she's a Moabite, so she should not be in that bloodline. But it's her character that ingratiates her into a space where she is blessed by God to do this amazing thing. So that's Ruth, and there's lots more to it. There's, it's, it's the closest you're gonna get to a rom-com in the Bible. There's will-they-won't-they they moments. There's some guy that seems like a good guy but isn't a good guy. There's like another side chick. It's all, it's drama, but it ends very nicely. Um, so there's lots of things we could explore about relationships as a result because Ruth is very cool. But I'm gonna do three today because as humans, we work best in threes. Did you know this? There's like a psychological thing about how you can remember three things, but if you try to remember four things, you can't remember three things, because our brains are irritating. So you can remember three, so I'm gonna give you three. Um, and if I get distracted, they don't count those things. They're not the three. <laughs> so the three that we're gonna look for is to flourish in relationships, you need to be faithful, you need to be compassionate, and you need to be open to otherness. And we're gonna explore all three of those with a little bit of Ruth. So let's talk about faithfulness. Firstly, you'll notice I have not used the word loyalty. Now, loyalty is interesting, isn't it? Because when I think about loyalty, I think I am choosing someone or something over something else. You can't be loyal to everyone, otherwise you're loyal to no one right? Because loyalty is about separating yourself from something or someone in the name of something or something else. The problem with loyalty is it is exclusive. So in relationships, when you commit to marriage or parenting in particular, those are lifelong commitments. Being loyal to your spouse is not only acceptable, but strongly encouraged. But you can't be loyal to every single person in your life. Because if you are, then you're disloyal to someone else. Because that's, you know, relationally we are not, I don't know if you've ever felt this, we don't all always get along all the time. So one way or another, you're gonna have to make a choice. And sometimes people may receive your choice as disloyal. So if we engage in the loyalty game, we get drama. And we should avoid drama wherever possible because it's exhausting. No, just me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so faithfulness, as we've discussed, is a fruit of the Spirit. 
Faithfulness is not about your circumstances. Faithfulness is not about the other person in the relationship. Faithfulness is a characteristic that you have as a result of your relationship with God. And it's a fruit that comes from understanding what it means to be kind, compassionate, empathetic, forgiving, patient, all the things that God is for you. So when we're faithful, we can be faithful to everyone because we're not doing it from a place of circumstances, we're doing it from within us and our identity. So in the case of Ruth, we see this incredible act of faithfulness right at the beginning of the book. Naomi has said to her and her sister-in-law, Orpah, who we'll deal with in a second, that they can go back to Moab. They don't have to come with her when she returns to Israel. But Ruth says this, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, I realize this may fly in the face of the loyalty thing that I just discussed, but it doesn't. Because what Ruth is doing here is she has recognized that there is a position that she wants to put herself in, and that position is beside Naomi. And so she is making a choice to commit herself and to be in partnership with Naomi, not because she wants to get something out of it, not from a place of fear. She's really confident in that relationship. She's been told expressly by Naomi, to, it is wiser to go. It'll benefit you more to go. But, but what Ruth is, Ruth is not even necessarily committing herself just to Naomi. This is a commitment to God. This is her saying, I have adopted your faith because the Moabites didn't believe in God. I have adopted your faith and your culture I have recognized that that is the place that I need to be in order to be obedient to God. And so I am coming with you. And you can't do anything about it. This is none of your business in a weird way. And this faithfulness that she does in that moment is what everything else stems from. Now, on a practical level for us, being faithful to people can be really challenging. Not because we don't want to do it, but because in spite of the fact that we try not to be affected by our circumstances, we are. Naomi's circumstances are the following. Her husband and both sons have died. She has no grandchildren, which means that she's got no support system. She's returning to a land that she and her husband effectively abandoned. And as a single woman, she doesn't really have any rights or power. She technically owns the land of her husband, but as soon as another male relative comes in and claims it, that's it, she's done. So she is in a very, very vulnerable position. Not only that, she changes her name from Naomi to Mara, which means bitterness, because she's so angry at God for how he has abandoned her and taken away her children and her husband that she cannot see his hand in her life. And rather than be named something which vaguely means being joyful or accepting or being a child of God, she's like, no, no, I am literally bitter. Don't come near me. It's not pleasant circumstances for Ruth to be stepping into. 
And Ruth, on top of all of that, is also a single woman with no children and a foreigner going into a land where she will be rejected on the principle of where she's come from. Her only options available to her are to go into the fields and to glean the scraps from the harvest behind the workers, a very vulnerable and dangerous place for a woman to be. But not only does she do that for herself, she does it for Naomi. Without question, without convincing, without an attitude, it is her heart's desire to provide for her mother-in-law. She is faithful in all of these circumstances. She is not deterred by any of them. And I cannot believe that that is just from some sense of loyalty. Because loyalty doesn't, that's not enough. Like she's not benefiting from the relationship at all. One would expect in a marital relationship that there is a give and take, right? You've gotta both be in it together. You're loyal to one another. Technically, Naomi has made no promises to Ruth to dedicate her life and her partnership with her. So this is coming from somewhere else. This is coming from a revelation that Ruth has had of what it means to be a child of God. What does it look like for you to be faithful? In your relationships, in your relationship with God, in your work life, in your family life, how often do we allow our circumstances to determine how engaged we're gonna be in the relationships around us? Maybe you have a group of friends that you love spending time with, but when you're not in a good place, you shut them out because you don't have the time or the energy to deal with the people when you're dealing with the life. I get it. <laughs> but faithfulness is not about that moment. Faithfulness is about the outworking of the spirit within you. And maybe your vulnerability or your willingness to be present with people when they're not having a good time or when you're not having a good time, maybe that is gonna be the thing that cements your relationship. Because when you recognize that you can be in relationship with people even when it's hard, there is another level of intimacy there, whatever kind of relationship that looks like. How can you be faithful? And how can you see people being faithful for you? Because remember, it is important that you are entering into relationships with people who are healthy as well. And that's not to say you can't spend time with people that don't necessarily equally benefit you. Of course you can, that's literally how we do life. But if those are your closest people, the people you rely on the most to do life with are the people that you can't trust to be present with you in the, t in the hard times and the boring times as well as the good times, are they faithful people? And is that a good idea for you. One more thing I wanna say on the topic of faithfulness is, and again, this is the difference between it and loyalty, is I believe that you can be faithful seasonally. Loyalty is fairly lifelong, and if you don't hold on to it, it can be fairly dramatic when it breaks. But sometimes we have relationships in our lives that are not forever. Sometimes you have friends who are really close for a season and then not so much for another season. And we see this in the story too. When, when Ruth makes this big declaration, I'm gonna come with you, I'm gonna die with you, all that stuff. Just before that, her sister-in-law, Orpah, has left. Also a Moabite, also married Naomi's other son. The other son also died. Exactly the same circumstances as Ruth. 
But at the moment when Naomi says, I release you to go back and to start your life again, Orpah chooses to do that. And she's not the bad guy in the story because of it. She was committed and faithful to her mother-in-law for as long as she was expected to be. And then she made a decision that was good for her, good for her future and her circumstances and her culture to move away. And they parted well. There was no bitterness, there was no resentment, there was a love and a respect for one another that resulted in a separation of ways. And we don't hear about Oprah again. She's not, it's not the 21st century, they're not Facebook friends. It's done and it's okay. And so I just wanna tell you, if there are friendships or relationships in your life, and again, I, I can't speak into parental and, and marital relationships on this level, but if there are work, friend, childhood, whatever relationships that you out of a sense of loyalty have held onto, but seasonally the time is done, it is okay. It is not unfaithful to say goodbye to people or to love and be a part of people's lives for a season. How you handle that, different kettle of fish, another conversation for another time, and you can find the answers if you read the book of Ruth. But don't be afraid to be okay to consider people a part of a season rather than your whole life. The next thing that Ruth does is she shows compassion. So healthy and flourishing relationships have compassion. We are compassionate. You know, Ruth is described in the book as, um, she's got something called chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. Chesed is fine too. I know English doesn't have a lot of ch words in it. It's a Hebrew word and it means loving kindness. It's the easiest translation. We don't actually have a direct English word for it because sometimes English sucks and we don't have, we like need five words to say one thing that another language says in one word. Um, but basically it's this incredible, deep, sacrificial love and compassion. And it's mostly used in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit. It's not often used to describe a human being because it's not an easy kind of love for humans to give because of its sacrificial nature. But Ruth is, um, as a foreigner as well, described like this by the people in her community as they get to know her. And as a result of showing empathy, as a result of being um, willing to be humble, willing to ask for help, for prioritizing Naomi's welfare over her own, she gets this reputation. And it's, it sort of flies in the face of the impression or the stereotype that the Israelites have of the Moabite people. So all through the book, she's always called Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. And as the book goes, it's Ruth the Moabite is kind. Ruth the Moabite is a woman of honor. Ruth the Moabite loves Naomi. Ruth the Moabite stands for what is, and she gets this, this thing, and I can imagine the people going, that's really interesting, she's a Moabite, but she's more like God than we are. And how culturally challenging that must have been for the people at the time. But we see when she first meets Boaz, Boaz, um, <clears throat> he says this to her, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. 
So this is like the elevator pitch. When people are gossiping, don't gossip, but when people are gossiping about Ruth, let's be honest, this is how they're talking about her. And Boaz is a wealthy landowner who doesn't really get involved in the gossip of the day, but he is observing Ruth, this clearly different person, doing all of these things, and it's fascinating. And so he's like, who's this? And as a result, this led to Boaz being very generous. So he gives a lot of food and stuff to her, Naomi, and prioritizes her in the harvest and gets all of his men. He's literally, I mean, it's like flirting on such a biblical level. He's like, hey, um, farm workers, could you please intentionally drop some extra food whenever you see Ruth? Don't tell her it was me. Like, I mean, anyway, it's like, yeah, dating 101, Old Testament style. Um, but the, to be genuinely, the result of this experience for them is that they end up together. And now I'm not saying that compassionate you leads to dating or marriage. Uh, it doesn't work like that, as far as I know, um, other than in this circumstance. But it is interesting that Ruth is over here doing her thing, being faithful, being kind, being compassionate. She's not like, oh, I'm gonna help. Did anybody see I, I did this? And as somebody who is an avid fan of Instagram and the deepest, deepest tendency within me is to be like, anything I do, because I'm excited about life, I want to be like, look what I did. <laughs> it's not, it's, that's not her reasoning. You know, she's not sitting there hoping that someone will notice. She's just doing it because she needs to do it. But that is actually the thing that makes her visible. This very distinct compassion and it results in her life changing for the better. What does compassion look like for you? Would you describe yourself as a compassionate person? Do you have a line in your head? I'm compassionate until this. And then once we're here, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not talking about healthy boundaries, which as we've established are very important. And as a young person, I did not have in this regard. But there's a difference between cutting people off because they irritate you and putting boundaries in because you need to be safe. And that changes person to person and you have to figure out what that looks like for you. But when you are truly compassionate, because the words loving kindness also fruits of the spirit, yeah? When you are truly acting out of your relationship with God, your relationships will flourish. You will attract people. You will attract people who need you. Of course you will. But you will also attract people who are like-minded and who also want to go on this journey of faith. And when people are doing that en masse, like what you guys do here, that joy that I was talking about, that's because it's happening not just in one or two people, but because it's developed across a community and it becomes an expectation. We're joyful here. That's what we do. We're real, we're authentic, we're vulnerable, we have bad days, but we have joy. And that kind of non-negotiable is extremely attractive to people. In my own life, as I said, not always great in relationships. And it's not to say that I didn't have great friendships because I did, but even in that, I couldn't understand why. Surely in order for me to keep these people on side, I need to keep being a servant-hearted, 
kind, patient, never gets irritated, never has a bad thing to say, never ever minds being the last person to get the food or don't care if you're always late or it's fine, you forgot to pick me up, I'm sure you had your own issues. Never, don't allow them to see any aspect of weakness or frustration because what if a glimpse of me feeling something slightly negative results in them being like, I'm out. What a bizarre thing to give the general population that much power over me but it was so entrenched in who I was. I wanna introduce you to two of my closest friends. There. <laughs> They're gonna be so mad at me about these pictures, but it's their fault because they don't let me take lots. And I really like taking pictures, and so I have to take them when they're not looking or I have to group them out of group shots. But this is Rhiannon, who's blonde, and Anna. Um, they are sisters-in-law. Anna married Rhiannon's brother. Um, they live in the vill same village I live in. I am godmother to, I think, all of their children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you about that later. But um, they had this five between them. It's great fun. And I love them. And I love doing life with them. And I love having dinner parties or going out, whatever. But I love going on a 20-minute walk or popping in for a cup of tea or walking a child to school or them coming around with a thing that they baked, praise the Lord, while I'm studying, or a two-minute call because this funny thing happened up the road and, you know, you weren't there, but I've got to tell you about it. They have taught me, and, and I've been on a journey with relationships from when I was about 21. I had this realization that what I was doing and how I understood things was wrong. And so it's been a long journey but these are the kind of people that are my day-to-day -day people now. Friends who have taught me that I am as valuable in the relationship as they are. I don't have to apologize for taking up space. I don't have to be on form all the time. I don't have to have a good day every day. I can snap at them, which I, it petrifies me. But I've recently learned that I am actually an irritable person. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know how annoying people were. <laughs> I literally think I shut it off. I was just like, best not to go there. But now that I'm there, I work, I mean, like, I work in a team of boys. Okay. Um, it's a lot. And, <laughs> and they have been so good for helping me learn how to be irritated with people and love them. Because um, you can, right? But that is healthy relationship honesty and authenticity and being in the rough stuff together and the boring stuff together and the fun stuff together. And Anna and Rhiannon have taught me time and again, challenged me. What are you talking about, Sarah? Why do I, why, I don't care. Should you care? No, it's none of my business. Oh, okay. Um, I'm really, uh, this upset me. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I guess apologies can be mute. I mean, honestly, it's been incredible. And I'm surrounded. I have a church community of people like this. And we foster this in C3. We do our best to be healthy in relationships. Not perfect, obviously. But we work really hard to do that. And the love and the kindness and the compassion that they have shown me and that I get to show them has led to me understanding that that is what I want in every aspect of my relational life. I won't enter into a romantic relationship with somebody who doesn't want to be on the same journey as me. I don't need to settle for someone with different values or a different attitude or somebody who expects me to be something. Rel romantically, in work, 
in friendships, none of it. I am designed, I am a child of God, you are a child of God, which means you're valuable just on the principle of existing. And if you can get into relationships like that, you change everything. So we're faithful in relationships. We're compassionate in relationships. And the last thing that I wanna talk about is that we need to embrace otherness. Are you in an echo chamber? Is everybody in your life, in the same stage of life, in the same social economic situation? Do they think the same as you? Do you have the same value system in absolutely everything? I feel like there's a very eclectic and diverse community here where you're sitting in different stages and different seasons of your life and you're doing life together and it's amazing. And I really wanna encourage you to take that out and, and be in people's worlds who are not like you. Ruth does that, okay? Naomi is older than her. Obviously, she's her mother-in-law. They're both grieving, but it's different kinds of grief, really. Um, Ruth herself is a Moabite, so she's got a completely different background to everybody that she's surrounding, surrounding her. Boaz is older than her. She is choosing to spend time and be in relationship and be intentional with people who are really not like her at all. And it takes work, but when we do that, it allows us to be more compassionate because we're not jarred by the differences of the world around us. We're comfortable with the idea of change and difference and, and our lives are filled with color and vibrancy and flavor, things that we wouldn't have if everybody around us was a carbon copy of ourselves. So we see with Ruth, there's this moment where um, she goes and basically she proposes to Boaz. It's very, very like feminista of her. Um, and he responds to this proposal by saying this, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Don't hold on to that. It's just a cultural thing. Don't worry about it. Um, the daughter thing, it's a weird phrase, but it basically means like, you're younger than me and I respect you. It's, we wouldn't say that now, it's weird, but they did then. He replied, the kindness is greater than which you have showed earlier. So he's saying by choosing him to him, that's even kinder than all the other things that she's already known for. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask, which is marry you. Um, and some other stuff that comes with that, it's in the book, you should go and have a look. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of character. You are known by the identity that you have developed based on the choices that you have made to be faithful and compassionate. Rhiannon and Anna are both older than me. Rhiannon is a doctor, Anna is a dancer. I'm South African. They've come from different parts of the country. Anna's from Stoke. She says book, it's just weird. But it has helped me ingratiate myself to the eclectic accents of the United Kingdom. But we're different, we're different. They have children. I do not have children. We are in different stages of life. I have, God children is like the best part. I literally get them for all the fun. And then I'm like, thank you, bye-bye. It's such a privilege to do life with them. 
And I get to bring something special into their lives. I get to be available in a different way. I get to bring a little bit of a reminder that their worlds are not just the small humans that are constantly surrounding them or not just the decisions they're having to make in their marriages and their homes. We add to one another's lives. Relationships are not easy. Any kind of relationship we're talking about. And in one way or another, we're all a product of the past experiences we've had, of our childhood, of the culture that is around us. But as Christians, we have a choice. We live in that truth, that existence, or we step into the identity that we have as a child of God. And we decide that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, which means we define how we do relationships. When Ruth made this decision, she didn't only impact her life or Boaz's life or Naomi's life. She didn't only impact the community, like he says, my town knows you as a woman of character. She became a part of a bloodline that led to Jesus, who has changed the world century after century. Her compassion, her faithfulness, her willingness to engage with society and community that is different to her. She birthed a son who birthed a son who birthed a son who led to Jesus. Every time you make a decision to better yourself, to be healthier in relationships, you don't just impact you. You change the life of your child or your Godchild. And then suddenly they're at school and they're not insecure and they're showing the love of Jesus. Will you stand with me? I am so encouraged by what God is doing in the hearts of the people in this community and as a result in this city. And I believe that what you can do here and how you can impact the community around you is just, it's so much more profound than you'll ever truly know. But I also know that relationships are hard and you, maybe you're lacking something or maybe you feel like there is a, a gap or a brokenness. And so I just, I want you to know that you are not alone that that is true across the world and across time from the Old Testament to the new to now. But as somebody who is on a, a wonderful, beautiful, ridiculous journey of what it means to be relationally healthy, I wanna tell you that the now is not forever. And what was before does not have to be forever. So I'm gonna do uh, two prayers now. First, I wanna pray for relational healing. If we just wanna close our eyes together, I wanna give people a moment of, of privacy. I, if you need healing, if you have been hurt, or if you feel a brokenness because of some relationship, friendship, whatever, and you would like prayer for that, I would ask you to just raise your hand and I will pray for us together. Father God, I bring these people before you now. I thank you that you are a God that heals and loves unconditionally. I thank you, God, that we can be whole with you. That as we get to know you, our hearts are mended and we learn who we are.
And I pray, God, I pray if people are in these challenging relationships now, that you will give them a sense of freedom and boldness to work that out, whether that's to walk away or to mend or to seek some sort of reconciliation, whatever that looks like, God, speak now. Give answers now, Lord Jesus. Give boldness now, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. And then the other thing I just wanna pray for, if we wanna all, if you're comfortable to hold your hands out, I would love us all to receive inspiration for how we can grow relationally. Because there's always more that we can do. So Father, I pray, I pray Lord Jesus that you give us inspiration specifically in our lives, how we can be more faithful, more compassionate and more open to otherness. What one of those areas, God, are you pressing on our hearts now? What can we do this week to serve you and to glorify you in our relationships? In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. If this message has spoken to you today in some way, we would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the c3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to thec3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.